Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Um, welcome back to the recap. We are on the August 13th episode. Judges, Acts, Jeremiah, Ruth, 1 Samuel, Romans. I feel like we kind of wrapped up Judges last week. Yes, we, we did. we definitely talked about chapter 21 because yes. you cheated and read ahead. Sorry. I could not. Okay. <laughs> I know. I almost, when I sat down to read this week, I was like, oh, I already know what happens. I don't have to read this, but I totally, I did. Judges yeah. is so nuts. Okay. You have to read the end of Judges because it puts you right in the mind frame for yes. Ruth. Yes. And to have read Judges last year, to have studied Ruth last year, and now to come at it from like now what I know about Ruth and reading Boaz as this Christ-like representation. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether they did this on purpose or, well, obviously God ordained the order of the books, but I wonder whether people who were putting the, is it the canon together Mm -hmm. in like the order that it goes in? What I love so much about Ruth this time is like inserting it like a slice of mm-hmm. judges. Do you know what I mean? These people have gone to crap. Like the, the whole thing mm-hmm. is a nightmare and there's evil everywhere and there's people with no good judgment anywhere. And then we read Ruth and it's like, no, no, actually, if you take a teeny tiny slice and you, mm-hmm. and you open it up and you lay it flat and you look at it, you've got this man who's living a fully righteous life, the way that God intended them to live leaving the room for people to glean and making room for the foreigner, welcoming the foreigner. Mm -hmm. Like that's the way that God set it up to take the contrast of Boaz welcoming this Moabite girl into his community, the way that he blesses his workers and they bless him in return. Mm -hmm. Um, And to contrast that with what had just happened to the foreigner or no, to one of their own, like they, right. To the Benjaminite. Yeah. Yep. Who ended up, giving his concubine who was a foreigner and how this foreigner was treated that contrast. It was just the first time that I was like, this is such an encouragement to those of us who believe right now in the midst of our just, um, debauchery. You know what I mean? Like if you look around the world around you, you're like, it's all going to poop. Like we're right. If you look at that high level overarching, which is what judges was. Yes. It's a disaster. Yeah. Yes. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I am the representation of Christ. I am, I am Boaz here when I choose to Mm -hmm. live my life the way that God intended us to, which is quite simply love God, love your neighbor, which when we sum it up that way, it sounds so, um, trite. Yeah. Thanks. Trite. Yeah. It sounds so trite. Love God, love your neighbor. That's like everybody's right. It's like a bracelet on your church. Yes. Yeah. Yeah genuinely like that's really what it comes down to love god love your neighbor and well that's what i mean there's a reason why jesus boiled everything down to those two things and it wasn't for a trite saying but yes (laughs) no because that makes perfect because that's what makes sense like when you're doing those things the other things fall into place yeah yeah Yeah. 
So this is just a fun read. So the other thing I was thinking as you were talking is like the idea when we think about, when we think about Boaz in relation to Jesus, Mm -hmm. just looking at like kind of an overview of Boaz and how he was living so differently than the most of the rest of Israel at that time. And then thinking about how Jesus showed up and was so not what anyone expected him to be or wanted him to be. And just how different, how he stood out because he was so different. And Boaz stands out because he's so different because he's actually doing love God, love your neighbor. Uh, Going back then to the other metaphor too, is that like, he's living an insignificant life. His life is not a significant Right. This is a cute little story right. in the middle of yes. judges, which thank God. But like, cool is that it's, it is like, I think the only just like happy little story. Every other story is full of tragedy and, and not that there's not tragedy in here, but it's like kind of it's wrapped up in a neat bow. <laughs> yeah. The whole it story is the ending. Right. Yeah. And the tragedy yeah. is at the beginning and we see God just um, sovereignly pull her out of tra- tragedy and create this right. pretty little story. But in reality, like that's who we are too. Like we think we're living like these insignificant lives. And yet when we're living faithful lives, the fruit of them, just like the fruit was Christ, you know, ultimately Christ comes from mm-hmm. Ruth. She ends up in that family line mm-hmm. and our insignificant little lives bring in outsiders as, mm-hmm. you know, as Boaz or Christ, we bring in outsiders and somehow in the end, like we can't measure what our lives become or how God's going to use them, but we can be sure it is just as significant, you know? Right. Yep. Which is unbelievable. Yeah. Yes, it is unbelievable. And that's Ruth. That's Ruth. Oh, yeah, man. Ruth is so good. I love it. <sighs> Who knew? I know. You kind of write it off as insignificant too, I think, because it's it's Ruth. It's just a story. But when we studied it last year, I think I was kind of blown away by how much there was to learn about, especially about who God is and how he relates to his people. And then Jesus, like seeing Jesus in the book of Ruth was really fun. Yes. Yep. And I'll tell you what, having studied it and seen Jesus all through the book of Ruth, I couldn't see Boaz as anything but Jesus. Yeah. Ruth when we studied it and now to come back in and go, oh my gosh, this is us. This is little Christ. This is Christian. Yes. Yes. Whoa. Totally. Cool. This is Erin, and I'm glad that you're studying scripture with us here on The Recap. I wanted to let you know that while we take a break from dive studies in August, we are studying the parenting study that I wrote in May over on the network. Please come join us for that. You'll get the parenting study for free with an all-access pass, or you can purchase the study in the shop at divecollective.org. But you can come join us on the network for discussion at www.members.divecollective.org. Our Dive Genesis study will begin again in September with our study on Joseph. If you haven't joined us yet, we've been studying the book of Genesis in depth this year, starting with creation of Noah, then Abraham, and we just finished Jacob in July. You can catch those studies for free via podcast with a free community membership over on the network as well. I highly encourage you to join a live study though, through an all access pass. Those studies are far richer than you can imagine as your brothers and sisters bring their takeaways to the group each week. Can't wait to see you over in the network very soon. Now let's get back to the recap. All right, let's talk a little bit about Hannah. Yeah. So a couple of things stood out to me that I never, I don't feel like I ever like really paid attention to before because I, I've always just really loved the story of Hannah. One of the things that stood out to me was 
the adjectives that they are, the adverbs that they use for several different things. One is that her rival, which is Penaniah, her rival, it says that she would taunt her severely. Mm. That word severely, like really kind of broke my heart. And then, but I never really noticed the way Eli represents us churchgoers who go to church and are like, just immediately have like the worst, uh, believe the worst about people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was really struck by the way he was like, he thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. That never, I, that never hit me before. And this time I read it and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the way we do things. Like it didn't occur to him that she might be praying. Yes. I totally agree with that. It's Eli definitely time. jumps to conclusions. Right. But like, I wonder if that's another indication of like this world. Eli was so used to maybe so used to seeing people come into the temple and not be there for the right reasons, like not be there to pray. And Hannah's like, no, I'm actually, I'm actually praying. Like I'm actually here doing what I, this is what I came for. She says, don't think of me as a wicked woman. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that flows into Eli's sons too. Like his sons were Mm -hmm. part of that whole just disaster that was Israel at that time. It's how we represent him. It's so how we represent, what's well, not all that, but it feels like, like I, I think, think that's about, a factor. Yeah. It's gotta be, you know, the way that Eli, so Eli is judging her instead of receiving her because that's who Eli is. That's who Eli and his family are. We accept people based on who we, who, who we are. Like we just assume mm-hmm. that since I'm this way, you must be this way. And Eli and his sons are gross. And so mm-hmm. their hearts are gross. And so they assume that everybody who's coming to worship's hearts are gross. And that is our way of living too. Like when we are, when we're, when we're Christians by name only, but actually living condemning and judgmental and all those lives, like it's also how we receive Christ too. We're, we we're judgmental against ourselves. We're um, unaccepting of other people. And it's because we know who we are. And so when we know who we are, it's, we don't expect any more from other people. I don't know if I'm making any sense or connection, but it's like, how, why would you, why would you reject Christ? And it's like, oh, because so many of us just don't even know him. We walk around representing him and we don't even know him. Yeah. Well, and I think we Romans, we read part of Romans this week. And I think Romans talks a lot about that whole idea of, I think you're right. In that that's a part of why people reject him because we are crappy representations of Jesus. Yeah. But we're also, it's just humanity. Like we are like Romans, the beginning of Romans lays it all out. You know, like we're dead. Like we, our natural instinct is yes. to reject him. Yes. And it's not our fault. Like, I love the way right. Paul is like, Paul is like, we, like, it has been laid out for us in creation. Yes. Like you're not, yep. we can blame it on other believers and how bad they are. All they would yeah. want. But if we really want to reject God, we're going to reject God because. Right. It's a personal. Refusing. Yeah. Individual. Yes. Okay. So before we leave for Samuel. Yeah. You are bashing on Eli, which I don't fully disagree with you. Like his. But I was thinking about our parenting study this week. And one of the things this week was David, when David um, totally does not defend his daughter, like that whole story about how the, the story we use of David as a parent and how the whole point of that was that 
we are responsible, but we're God's grace is a much greater force in our kids' lives than our yes. parenting. And that I'm thinking about that with Eli right now, because I think Eli, maybe he wasn't exactly a Boaz when we're talking about like this time of the judges, but I don't think Eli wasn't doing the same things his sons were doing. He assumed the worst of Hannah, I think because of what was happening in his world at that time and his, and his sons are total train wrecks, total train wrecks. Maybe he was a terrible father. Maybe that's just how it happened. But at the end of chapter three, when Samuel goes back, after he gets mm-hmm. this terrible news and Samuel's like, I do not want to tell Eli what God just told me because yes. this is the worst thing I could ever tell anyone. And Eli's response to Samuel is he is God. Let him do whatever he thinks best. I, man, can you even imagine Mm-mm. to know that God is going to destroy your children mm-hmm. because of the train wreck that they are and saying, oh, okay, well, he's God. Oh my gosh. You know, what makes me think of like, we've been having a lot of conversations about the honor in humility, like the way, and I, I love what you're saying there because you're right. Like there's so much honor in Eli's response. Yeah. We blew it, you know, like just, yep. Mm-hmm. He is God. And I almost kind of get that tone from him, which is like, Yes. I don't, there's, I have no defense. There's no, there's nothing to come to him with. It's like, yes, absolutely. Whatever he thinks is right is right. Cause he's God. And And Eli, Eli recognizes like he confronts his sons about what they're doing. So it's not like his head is in the sand and he doesn't know that they're being horrible, horrible people. I'm with you. Like even in his, even in his confrontation of them, he's telling them like you, you sin about you sin against people like that's one thing but if you sin against god you that's it there's no there's no one no one can help you if you're sinning against god just seeing the way it plays out he gave them a warning but it wasn't he didn't take action necessarily you have me totally thinking about god's way of doing things and how eli raised these two sons and i wonder how much it filled him up to have Samuel with him. Like God basically mm-hmm. provided him another mm-hmm. son and our like a spirit- second chance. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking about this recently that our spiritual family is so much more real than our genetic one that like our actual brothers and sisters, genetic brothers and sisters and our genetic children are a shadow of mm. the real family of God. And that, like we tend to think about it the opposite direction that our mm-hmm. this is the most real family that we can have. And then to go, wait a minute, no, my brothers and sisters in Christ are actually my brothers and sisters. That bond of Christ is like mm-hmm. an unbreakable. And I was thinking about that in terms of boundaries, even with my own family, how you have this picture of what good, strong family is supposed to look like. And if you grew up like me, some part of that had to do with like agreeing on a lot of things, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially politically or um, socially or whatever. And then mm-hmm. you grow up and you have like these different maybe beliefs or feelings about how things should be done. And you, it can be really unnerving and feel like suddenly you're not, you're, you're not as close as you once were. Right. What happened to the relationship? Yeah. And like, and now like this idea that even in Christ, like my, even my, my genetic brother and sister and my mom and my dad, like I'm all of like our best conversations surround 
Christ and what he's doing in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it's far more unifying than any other conversation that we can have. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, just that, like, just the idea that going back to what we were talking about, Eli, like what a gift God gave Eli, that his spiritual son, Samuel Mm -hmm. will be such a delight to him. I think he's Mm -hmm. going to get so much pleasure out of, and I love that. What does it say? I mean, you can just picture it. If you know what an ephod is, it's like this little plate that they wear right on their chest and it has Mm -hmm. all these gems in it representing the 12 tribes. But I love that in chapter two, verse 18, it says Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. And each Mm. year his mother made him a a robe, but just the mere boy in contrast to these men who were atrocious. I mean, literally it's the verse that follows the story of the Mm -hmm. the brothers and what they were doing. But that contrast, this, this mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod and each year his mother made him a little robe, a little robe. (laughs) (laughs) And he's hearing from God and telling like, and confronting how hard that must've been for him. Oh, there's so much in there. It's rich. (sighs) That took me a long time to try to communicate a really small thought, but I love the way that you said that Eli received that that you mm. let God do what he's going to do. And oh, mm. we are running out of time. So Jeremiah yeah. is Jeremiah. He's Jeremiah is Jeremiah. He's doing his thing still. Where are we? Where do we start? 35, 35 to 42. So in 36, mm. when Jehoiakim, I think is the king, mm-hmm. they go, he, they, they have this, they find this scroll. So I feel like I need to look at this, but it almost feels like we start over again, kind of. So in 35, the beginning of 35, it says the message that Jeremiah received from God 10 years earlier. And then, so this is, um, I don't know how the layout goes in this book, but it almost looks like where Jeremiah is like, I heard this a long time ago. This is when he says he gets a scribe and he has a scribe, um, Baruch, right? Is that Baruch? Right. Everything right. down. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Baruch reads from the scroll. Yes. The fifth year of Jehoiakim, he reads from the scroll scroll. Some guys are there. Some important guys hear him and they're like, Holy cow, we should have the King read this. So they take Baruch to the King and Baruch reads it in front of the King. And as he's reading it, Baruch doesn't read it. Somebody else from the King's world reads it. And after he would read three or four columns, the king would cut them off the scroll with his pocket knife and throw them in the fire. He continued in this way until the entire scroll had burn, burned up in the fire. Neither the king nor any of his officials showed the slightest twinge of conscience as they listened to the messages read. El Nathan, Deliah, and Gemariah tried to convince the king not to burn up the scroll, but he brushed them off. He plowed ahead and ordered some other guys to arrest Jeremiah the prophet and his secretary Baruch. So like the king is like, totally like, whatever, I don't care about this. This is stupid. And he goes to have them arrested because he's so cut. Like, this makes me think we're not in the judges time anymore, but like, it's not like it's getting a lot better with the Mm. kings. Like, it's just this, but at the end of all that, they go to arrest Jeremiah and his secretary, but God had hidden them away. Mm -hmm. And then God tells them he destroyed the scroll, write it all down again. And just how I just was thinking about, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with 
Boaz and Israel and just how it kind of is a reflection of us as believers within this like big world, but just how God steps in and preserves his word. Yes. And his people. And his people. Because the next thing is like Jeremiah, even when they, it says Nebuchadnezzar comes to town and Mm -hmm. and he says, and the guy in charge is like, Hey, take him and look after him. Don't do him any harm. Um, but do for him, whatever he says. Yeah. Don't they give Jeremiah an option? Like you can either live here or you can live here, but he ends up just kind of being like, you can go whichever way you want to go. You can go here or you can, you're right. right. And then, and then at the end he goes, actually, but you should go here. And he tells him where he should go. And so Jeremiah actually goes exactly where he recommends that he go. Like, it's like, he tells them, go this way, go that way. It doesn't matter. And then it says the whole land is in front of you, wherever it seems good and right for you to go, go there. When Jeremiah had not yet turned to go, Nebuzaradan said to him, return to Gid- Gedalia, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, whom the King of Babylon has appointed over the cities of Judah and stay with him among the people or go wherever it seems right for you to go. That was weird because like he told him go wherever. And then he was like, go here. Or go wherever you want. Or go wherever. Yeah. yeah. And then, so the captain of the guards gave him a ration and a gift and released mm-hmm. him. Jeremiah therefore went to get a lot. He went to where he recommended him. He go mm-hmm. and he lived out the rest of his day- days there. And I was just like, that was really just like you said, God preserves his word, but he also, pre- he preserves his people mm-hmm. and he preserved yep. Jeremiah in the midst of that. That's not that I'm sure Jeremiah really loved his life that much, but he did. He escaped. So that's kind of that. Maybe that's the theme that I pulled out of it is like God's protection over his people. And I was looking at Paul and so much of Paul's life, yes. the hand of protection yep. on Paul that he should have experienced all that. He did experience a ton of suffering. Right. And yet you see his God's hand plucking him out of places and putting him mm-hmm. in different places and the imprisoning him in the King's palace where he had right. the freedom to have friends over and mm-hmm. still preach the word, even in the past. Yep. Like it's, it's a beautiful picture of here and now, like that's, this is the God that we serve now. Not that we aren't going to go through suffering, but sure enough, God is going to preserve us to fulfill every purpose for which he's created us. Like we're not right. We, we can't, it can't be thwarted by vaccines. It can't be thwarted yes. by COVID. <laughs> I mean, if we jumped back straight to Acts, that it's that same picture, but that I see mm-hmm. in Jeremiah, I see that in Samuel, the way that mm-hmm. God picked Samuel for that particular time in the midst of that darkness mm-hmm. and Paul's in the midst of his darkness and the snake bite doesn't affect him. And, you know, we go back to just the kingdom reign and I can't remember, I think it's in Isaiah. I know that I looked it up, but that passage in Isaiah, where it says that a wolf will dwell with the lambs. One of the other things is yes. how like children will walk in the midst of snakes and be bit and not die. Mm, yeah. And just so much of that passage that is about this millennium reign. I just feel like it, there's like, I was just looking through that passage and going, well, that's an ax and that's an ax and that's an ax and that's an ax. Mm-hmm. And there's no prosperity gospel here. I, there's a ton of suffering involved in following Christ, but we have a lot to trust in we can't be harmed by anything that God does not intend. Right. Yeah. Like it's just, it's all under his a hundred percent protected by the hand of God. Yeah. Not from suffering. Well, and I think it totally, right. Not from suffering. It goes back to that whole idea we've talked about that. We can't 
often we don't see God working when we're in the middle of it. We don't know how God's working behind the scenes. And I'm sure if we talk to Jeremiah or Paul in the moment, like I'm sure that they trusted that God was doing whatever he wanted because he's God. But we have the advantage of hindsight. Like we get to look and see Jeremiah's whole story and Paul's whole story and look at that and say, we can see where God was preserving them. So just that reminder that sometimes we don't, even in the moment, like right now, sometimes it's hard for us to see maybe how God is preserving us as a whole or individually in the midst of a chaotic world. And yet, because we have examples like Jeremiah and Paul, God gives us reason to trust him and know that he's working even when we can't necessarily put our finger on exactly how he's doing it. And even in the midst of suffering, like you were saying, it wasn't like their lives were easy because God was on their side. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy when we're in the midst of that, it's really hard to see God on our side and remember that he is, but he gives us the advantage of hindsight in, in the lives of his people through his word and, and not just through his word, but through, people like actual people that he puts in our lives that have experienced his grace in us. Yeah. So I like that he, even though sometimes we can get so caught up in the moment, what's happening and not see the big picture. He gives us examples of the big picture to be able to know him. Yes. Yes. I loved this in acts. 26, starting verse 17. Um, this is Paul telling Agrippa his story, basically. He's like yeah. giving him this rundown of what happened to him. And he says, This is what this is what God said to, to me, basically, when he stopped me on the road. He said, I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light. See the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. I was just like, wow, what a little wrap up of the gossip. Mm. He does that. That's Paul. We're going to see that in the epistles. Yes. Last year that he. Oh, yes. Present the gospel in like 15 words. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> He's, He's really good at it. I love Paul more and more. Yeah. I think one of my highlights from Acts this time was that, uh, was Lydia saying to him, if you really believe I'm a believer, come stay at my house. And she urged us to the point where I couldn't, I, I mm-hmm. had to, that was such an audacious move for her to. Yes for her to do that and hold him to it, hold him to the fire. Like you, if you believe this, come stay with me. He's like, well, mm-hmm. I guess I'll come stay with you then. Guess I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Changed everything. Oh man. He got it. He, his heart was soft. That's, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh man. And then Romans, I, I, you know how I feel about Romans, but reading it in the message is so different. It's so different. Um, I was wondering about that. This is the one where Bruce was like last year, we had my brother on as a guest in Romans and yes, I remember that. It's basically a commentary. (laughs) The message is basically, 
Eugene Peterson. And this is one of the ones that I was like, I don't know if I want to read this one in the message, but I love it so far. I mean, we're only a part way in, but in chapter two, um, somewhere in the verses three or four, first four, maybe. Did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Mm. And I was like, that, that is such a good description of God's holiness. Like that's where his holiness and his, like the judgment, he's kind, but he's not soft. Like he's not, you are not getting away with this, but, but in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand. Like just that picture of that's what he does. He's being kind. He's taking us firmly by the hand and leading us into a radical life change. I just, Mm -hmm. the way that was worded, I feel like that's such a great description of how God works. Yes. He's kind, but he is not soft. So good. Oh, and then this is where kind of where we were talking about before with people knowing, like having the knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So I've, this is in Romans two, again, just a few verses later, he's talking about God's law and how a lot of it is instinctual when outsiders who've starting verse 14, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law, follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something, yes, there's something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no right and wrong. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes into account all these differences. But that idea that it's woven, like Mm. that knowledge of God is woven into the very fabric of our being, Mm -hmm. which obviously we're made in his image. So yes, that has to be true. Mm Mm-hmm. Which goes back to what you were saying. It's only rejecting God. It's like, it's, it's a, you have to practice rejecting the truth. Right. Right. Because it's written in our hearts. So it's, it's a choice that we make that choice. Okay. I think this is the last thing I have to say about Romans maybe, but I love how the language is consistent. Like when, and I don't think this is just Andrew or Eugene Peterson's translation. I think this is scripture, but I've, one of the things that has stuck out to me over and over again, especially as we're reading the prophets is that talk about like the God who sets things right. Like we've talked about that, how Mm. he's going to set things right. Well, the same thing comes up here in Romans three. So about halfway through Romans three, it kind of Paul like switches and he's Mm -hmm. been laying out, he's been laying out who we are without God. And then in verse 21, he's like, but now, And then he starts talking about who we have, who we are in Christ. Mm. Um, It says in maybe verse 22, the God setting thing, the God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him out of sheer later on out of sheer generosity. He put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift he got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. 
later on, God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his righteousness. Yes. And I was thinking about that. You know how we've talked about like the kingdom, that whole already not yet idea of the kingdom. Yes. And I was just thinking about this, like got that already part of it. We are fully as believers when our, when we repent and believe our faith is in Christ, we are fully set right with God. God makes Mm -hmm. us he sets everything right in a relationship with him. Like we are fully set right with God. Yes. We're still living in this, like not yet aspect of the world where the rest where creation has not yet been completely set right with God. But because of Christ our we are totally set right with God in our relationship with him. And that work is done. Yes. Like Jesus did it. Yes. And what he attended all along is for us to live in his presence. That's what we get now. Mm -hmm. That's what he's restoring is us being able to be in his presence. The entire point of him restoring our righteousness through Jesus is so that we can be present with him and we can very much have it right now. And yet Mm -hmm. it's not full. Like it will be one day when we're with him, Mm -hmm. but we have it now. Like we are fully restored right now to complete righteousness so that we can experience his presence. Mm-hmm. And as we experience his presence, mm-hmm. we become more like him keep going. and other people get to experience yes. his presence and they can't reject him because they see his kindness that leads them into repentance. Yeah. Yeah. What, what good news, what good yeah. news. And we get to just rest. We get to rest. Like there's things that have come up in my life that I think about or like people around me that I like, I want to see them changed. You know what I mean? I want to see them Mm -hmm. fully restored. I want to see them become everything that God intends them to be. And I start to kind of worry about it and think about what's my role and I want to control it. Mm -hmm. And then, and God is like, no, like you just bring you and be you and rest. Like, although I have, as we were talking at some point, I was, there was a moment when you said something and I was like, I I need to pray. I need to pray for Mm -hmm. them. That Mm -hmm. is the thing that I can do. That is a thing that I can do. I can pray for them. And he desires that I do because he's going to do the work because he's going to get the glory. Yeah. Yeah. That's the recap. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.